Welcome to another edition of the Engineering Leadership Podcast, where we bring together successful C-suite executives to explore their stories at the intersection of leadership and engineering. We believe leaders are built, not born. And by nailing the constants, we can build strong, engineering-focused leaders who are prepared for future success. Each interview was led by Doug Hawk, chemical engineer, business executive, and the creator of Engineering Leadership. I'm Ben Fanning. Let's get started. And welcome to the show. I have Bob Hambright, who is the retired CEO of Balfour Abatey Construction, which is a leading international infrastructure and construction company. He is passionate about the topic of leadership and has invested in furthering leadership development within Clemson University and beyond. Bob is a mechanical engineer, and he chose the topic of values. And here's your three bullets summary. Values determine how you view yourself and how you view others. Curiosity makes you smarter and a lot more interesting. And be who you are and don't try to be somebody else. Enjoy the episode. Thank everybody for joining us for today's episode. I am a chemical engineering alumnus from uh, Clemson University. And, uh, you know, our, our philosophy and our thinking here at Engineering Leadership is really summed up in a couple simple statements, first of which is that, you know, we believe leaders are built, not born. And that uh, like all things that are built, we can start with strong foundational fundamentals. And that really helps, you know, whether you're building a bridge or road or a computer program, you know, your success can be so much greater if you get those fundamentals laid in strongly and start from a great foundation. And that's, that's a lot of what the topics we'll cover on these episodes are about. And joining me today is Bob Hambright, retired CEO of Balfour Beatty Construction, a leading international infrastructure and construction company. Um, Bob's a mechanical engineering alumni. And each of the episodes we produce, we have asked uh, our, our folks joining us to pick a particular constant, is what we call them, and uh, you know, key, key focus area for the discussion. Bob chose values, which is certainly one of the most important ones of the group. And uh, with that being said, we'll dive right in and, you know, I'll open Bob by just saying, you know, we do think that obviously engineering can be fundamental to leadership and that leadership can be empowered by nailing these, these foundational fundamentals. Um, as you looked at all of them that, were, that we want to talk about, you know, I guess I just opened by saying, why did you choose values and, and what's the most important aspects of that you want to talk about today? Well, uh, thanks for, uh, for having me, first of all, and um, exciting to uh, be a part of this and to continue to, to give back uh, to Clemson Engineering, uh, especially in the area of leadership. But, you know, I have um, became a, a real uh, student of, uh, of leadership and trying to learn all I could about it. And um, probably uh, the last 10 or, or 15 years of my career. And then of course I retired 10 years ago and, and I began to, to do some lectures at a number of universities um, on, on leadership, just really sharing my experiences. And, and I would pick highlights uh, of uh, the, 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 the pieces of, um, of leadership that I thought were important and, and worth sharing. 
And, and a few years ago, I guess five or six years ago, seven years ago, maybe I was preparing a, um, or I would always try to build on what I had done before. And as I was pulling it together, I said, you know, um, everything I'm talking about here is values. I mean, every, every piece that I had, had, had evolved, that had evolved in my mind about what was important was a discussion about values. And I said, you know, really, values uh, determine who you are. Um, the, the things for you that are, that are non-negotiable. Uh, they tell you how you feel about yourself. They tell you how you feel about others. And they also define the relationships that exist between you and others. And that's what leadership's all about. It's just that simple. And I, I sort of landed on Vegas accidentally by, by just, just refining my message to what was, what was important. And it, at the end of the day, it was, it was all about values. Yeah, that's, that's a great tee up. Um, you know, I, you, you sent over uh, a really interesting uh, link when we were, we were prepping for this discussion today. And, and the quote that stood with me that relates to values, but also how you take that values foundation and use it to empower leadership, right? And, and your, the quote that you had referenced was, stand on the perimeter and howl at the unknown with unbendable optimism, um, which I thought was a fantastic quote, but also it's sort of, because in our, in our framework that we've developed, you know, values fall into the sort of orbit of what I call evangelize, right? So it's, it's not enough to have them. We all need to have them obviously as good people, but leadership is about having them and then being able to get others to appreciate them, leverage them, believe in them, and, and you know, follow a team that's on those, you know, using those to drive their direction. So just you speak a little bit about that. It seemed like that quote had struck you as well. And I just, well that's, that, that goes to one of my values. Um, and uh, I have to admit, I stole that. I, I, <laughs> a lot of time in Wyoming and, and the University of Wyoming has a, a video called The World Needs More Cowboys and, uh, and it, I just love it and I shared it with Chris I think you've seen it and it, it, it said and it gets to the point of curiosity and I think that curiosity is a, is a key value um, you, you know you need, you need to uh, you need to be curious. Uh, you need to, uh, um, you know, you want to uh, look look for uh, for uh, you want to push. You mean you want to push the envelope. You want to, uh, you know, you want to study things and 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 not take everything for granted. Uh, I think curiosity uh, makes you smarter. I think it makes you a lot more interesting. <laughs> and, uh, those are those are all good things. It, you know, it causes you know you want to you want to embrace discovery. Um, I think that uh, one one of the best things I when I was growing up I, I never traveled, um, but I've was able to make up for it. Uh, you know, and uh, traveling is one of the greatest ways to discover curious to to be curious because you you you, you learn to put yourself in other people's shoes and uh, so. Uh, Another thing about curiosity is that I noticed when we would be looking for to hire people 
uh, to, to bring people on, every once in a while you would hear somebody describe a candidate as being, well, you know, he or she is, is they, have a, they have a curiosity. And I thought, man, I hope somebody will describe me that way one day because I, and whenever you would whenever I whenever I would hear that it would really make me look at that candidate differently and say that's that's somebody that's somebody I really like to have on my team somebody who's who's curious so that's yeah that's one of my that's one of my the one of the values that I sort of discovered later on in the process but I think it's an important one. Yeah, it's funny you say that. We I did a. One of a really cool experience a few years ago for me, I got to do a couple interviews with Fran Tarkington, um, who does a he does a leadership development program for entrepreneurs and small businesses, and uh, you know he and it wasn't we hadn't talked about it, so I was it was very kind of ad lib, but he said, well, you know, we were talking about sort of key characteristics that you're looking for in new hires and new team members, and um, and we went down the the typical list, obviously want earnest folks who have, you know, good fundamental values and, and who also, you know, are hardworking and, and, uh, intelligent. And, uh, but I said, you know, I, I told him at the time, I said, one of the most underappreciated characteristics that I'm always looking for is curiosity because it is so fundamental to, you know, pushing back those boundaries, figuring out, you know, it's sort of, it's a determination to see what's not on the page, right? Like um, it's one thing to, and as engineers, I think so often we can get focused on, you know, the calculation or the estimate or the, you know, the, the technical uh, material that is on the page, right? But actually advancing your work is so often dependent on that little bit of curiosity that drags you off the page into the darkness where, you know, um, you're going to discover new things. Yeah, but I do love that quote. I uh, that the one that I stole from the University of Wyoming that it, it, it captures the essence of it. For me, stand on the perimeter and howl at the unknown with unbendable optimism that you're going to you're going to find you're going to find what you're looking for out there, and maybe find something you're not looking for out there. Curiosity is one of the one of the sexier um, values. Some of them are, are a little more menial, like. The, 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 I always start with uh, somebody's got to do the work. Um, you know, I, I you know, and I, and, 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 you know, this was easier in, in my generation than it is today, I think, to talk about. But uh, I never seen anybody do much that was important without a whole lot of hard work. Um, you know, my dad used to, my dad was uh, used to say to me, he's when I went off to my first job, he said, now, you know, you're going to get a, you're going to have a, a decision to make every day. You're either going to give the people you're working for just enough to get by, or you can give them a little bit more than they're paying you for. You know, it's the difference between coming in at a quarter till eight or a quarter after eight. And he said, but at the end of the day, I'll make all the difference in the world. And, and boy, was he right. I mean, that's just, it's just such a little thing, but, uh, but people notice that, and it, it does tend to, you know, you can outwork, you can outwork the competition sometime. I, I read a book, you probably read it too, uh, The Outliers. Yep. Um, and, and in there, he, he talks about how important hard work is, and he talks about, that, you know, he, you know, it's, it's Malcolm Gladwell, who I really like a, a lot. And uh, he talks about, 
the Beatles and he talks about uh, Bill Gates and he said, you know, you think these people just fell into it. But if you really go back and study, they put in hours and hours and hours of work to be ready for the opportunity that presented itself when it did because he said, he said to, to the best of his knowledge, it looked like they had all put in about 10,000 hours of prep. I mean, the Beatles were in Hamburg, Germany, playing in these bars for 10 years, honing their, 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 what they did. And then, you know, so when their big break came, they were ready for it. And you just, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, 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 to shortcut hard work. I'm so, I'm so glad you brought that up, Bob. I think the, I was thinking about, um, first of all, I love that book. That's one of the, I love all his work, but that one in particular has stuck with me in a number of ways. Um, And one of the things that sort of builds on that and and he does talk about is, you know, there is, and this gets to the fundamentals of the philosophy behind, you know, sort of the mindset that I'm trying to make sure we explore is, you know, that again, built, not born, because I think, you know, one of the, and there's a, there's another, uh, you know, mindset is a book by Carol Dweck. That's one of the seminal sort of works on, you know, the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset and, and um, you know, sort of how one of the worst things you can tell somebody is, Oh, you're just a natural, right? Cause it, and that implies that you're, whatever you're born with is what you have and you make the most of that. But you know, there's, there's not a lot of building to do. Right. So, um, which I think is, is toxic, especially young people, because it's, you know, it doesn't speak to the opportunity that's in front of them and available to them through hard work and development and continued, you know, just push and, and belief that you can continue to grow. Right. And, and, and the reason that leadership to me is such a, a fantastic area to apply that way of thinking is, that even despite, you know, and, and I think Gladwell's right that, you know, if, if you have the right combination of some fundamental talent, like let's take a basketball player, right? Like if you really love basketball and you want to practice 10,000 hours or 20,000 hours, if you're 5'2", probably still not going to be in the NBA, right? Um, but what I tell people is I said, well, leadership, that doesn't apply. Anybody who's determined enough to put in the work to challenge themselves, to continue to develop, can be a good leader. You know, it doesn't, you, you can, you know, FDR led the country in the worst war that we've ever seen from a wheelchair. You know, people, he, that didn't come easy, right? But he wasn't prohibited from being a fantastic leader because he had a, a deficiency in one area, right? And that's, you know, so I think as we look at, you know, like the Beatles, I mean, I have no doubt they were world beater band because of that effort and that 10,000 hours. But they did have to have some capability, right, to build on. They were a good band, and Bill Gates was a smart guy. (laughs) Right, right. So I think, you know, and and I love those examples, but I also love the differences that we can draw with leadership because, again, it doesn't matter what gifts you were born with. If you have enough determination and you're willing to put in the hard work and you're willing to challenge yourself and expose yourself to all the resources around you, you can determine to be a good leader and it doesn't, you know, and it's not a matter of just leading a company or a, or a team, you know, there are leadership opportunities every day in your family, in your community, 
in your church. Um, you know, there are endless ways to step up and impact others with good leadership, which is what. Let me let me take that point. And if, if I can, I'd like to read to you the best definition of a leader that I have ever heard or read. And it's by Peter Senge from the book, The Fifth Discipline. And it, it really makes your point. And, it, it's, it's, and I've read this 10,000 times because that's how much I love it. Most of the outstanding leaders I have worked with are neither tall nor especially handsome. They are often mediocre public speakers. They do not stand, up, stand out in a crowd, and they do not mesmerize an attending audience with their brilliance or eloquence. Rather, what distinguishes them, distinguishes them is the clarity and persuasiveness of their ideas, the depth of their commitment, and the openness to continually learning more. They do not have the answer, but they do instill in those around them that together, we can learn whatever we need to learn in order to achieve the results that we truly desire. The ability of such people to be natural leaders as near as I can tell is the byproduct of a lifetime of effort, effort to develop conceptual and communication skills, to reflect on personal values and to align personal behavior with those values, to learn how to listen and to appreciate others and others' ideas. That, that to me makes your whole point. You know, if, you've, if you're willing to commit to a lifetime of learning and develop what it takes, you can be a really great leader. Excellent, excellent, I love that. We will definitely be stealing that quote. You know, I was reading one of your questions and it was talking about who, who's had the most impact on you. And, and I guess that book and by that author it's just a textbook of, of everything that is leadership. It's a, it's a terrific book. It's was written by a guy, and he's a professor at MIT. Great. Yeah, we'll put we'll put those links in the show notes too to both Outliers and the Fifth Discipline, and make sure folks can find those easily. Um, so you talked about hard work. You talked about curiosity. What are the other you know key values? Well, kind of, you, kind of, kind of following on on following on. Um, on a hard work um, my game and uh, uh, I think I've shared this with Chris and it, it, uh, if you commit to do that you're not you just say I'm not gonna have any bad days I'm gonna show up with my game every day and uh, you know that was I felt so strongly about that that you know it, 28 years ago it, it cost me to stop drinking because I realized one day that uh, in terms of being a father being a, a husband and especially being a, a leader and manager at work, I was drinking enough to where it, it, you know I, I would I would felt I would show up. I didn't feel real good in the morning, and then I'd come home and you know hammer down a few beers at night when I, I should have been spending more time with my kids. And I said, you know, I, I, I'm not showing up with my A game. And um, I had people tell me they said, well, you know, if, you, if you're going to try to quit, you know, we're a, we're a drinking company. Uh, that's that's going to affect your career, and I said, "Well, it might, but that's one of my core values." And um, and if if it, and I'll just I'll just have to live with that. So I stopped. That was 28 years ago, and uh, five years after I stopped drinking, I was the president of the company. So uh, you know, if you if you do what 
what your core tells you to do, uh, things will work out for you. Um, and I guess um, another really important value that I sort of like curiosity, I sort of discovered this one later on, and that's, that's the concept of authenticity. You know, I, I, I saw a quote that said, the world cannot resist authenticity. And you think about that, and it's, it's very true. And I, I can't think of a, of, a, of a better trait for a leader to have than just to be, um, be who you are and, and, and don't, try to, don't try to be somebody else. Um, you know, I've, not, I've watched speakers, and I, I have this, I know this lady who is, uh, she's older and, and uh, she's very frail, and, and she certainly doesn't project when she is speaking to a group. Uh, she's, a, she's a CEO. Um, but she is one of the most authentic people I've ever seen. And when she speaks to a group, that comes through. And the audience is hanging on the edge of their seat because she's, they just know they're, they're getting who she is and, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I just, I love authenticity. I, I, I have an example of how I learned this the hard way. The, I think maybe the first experience I ever had being a manager, I was in my late 20s and I was supervising a, a small group of, of draftsmen. And uh, we, we, were, we weren't performing very well. We were, our production was down and, and, um, and I had to bring them in and, and, um, and have a heart to heart about our production. And, and I, 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 I had this speech that I felt like a manager needed to make when he was going to really chew somebody out. And, and they came in and, and I just, I panicked because I, I just, I thought, you know, I just had this real important speech I was going to deliver and, and really, really, really get on them. And, I, and I, I became so nervous that I had to get up and leave the room and, and kind of collect myself. And, and I, I remember telling my father-in-law, who was really, a, a, he was an executive with the Internal Revenue Service, and I was telling him about that. And he said, Bob, you know what? He said, don't, don't ever try to do that. He said, just be yourself. He said, he said you, you, were, you were disappointed in them. You were, you know, they're, their performance was hurting them. It was hurting you and, and your perception in, in the company. And he said, just let that come through. Let your, let your emotion, let your feeling come through and, and show, don't be afraid to show the disappointment. Don't be afraid to show the hurt. Don't be afraid to take some of the responsibility. And boy, that's some of the best advice anybody ever gave me. Just, you know, in, 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 in this, Anytime I had a, a tough conversation or a crucial conversation later on in my career, I just I remembered that advice and I just kind of came across as, 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 you know, I'm me and you're you. We're going to sit down here and we're going to have a discussion and, 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 and figure this out together. And so I think authenticity is, uh, it is very important. It's being humble. And, uh, and I think, I think it's, it's, when, it's when leaders lose that authenticity, that humility. In my experience, Doug, it is maybe the number one reason leaders fail is when they lose that. They forget, they, they forget where they came from. I love that. I love the, you know, bring your A game. I mean, I, I, and I still do this 
every morning myself. And it's one of the, I try to, whenever one of my folks is having, you know, some tough times, I try to convey the say to them. And that's, you know, as you rise in terms of responsibility and accountability, I mean, it, you know, most it's, it's that shift from, you know, the work you do to more of the decisions you make and how, and how you help your people succeed. But one of the things I tell folks is, you know, the most important decision you can make. And, I, and my routine is it's, you know, it's, it's winning that discussion with the man in the mirror every morning. Right. And with me, you know, I, I'm clean shaven. So I shave every day and it's my routine is, you know, look yourself in the eye and decide that you're going to have a good day. Now, that might not be how the day turns out, but you can start there. And yeah. no one can take that away from you. No one can make that, you know, but also no one can make that for you. No one can make that decision for you. You have to decide to get up and like you said, give your A game. You got to decide to get up, be optimistic. You got to decide to get up and make the best of whatever you encounter. And and it's so easy. It is easy to come off the rails and forget that and get consumed by the activity and the sentiment and the frustration around you. And, um, you know, I think that sort of bring your A game, make that very most important decision every day to just enter the day with some optimism, be determined to make it a good day, be determined to help everybody else get a little tiny bit better. Um, and, you know, many, many days will go that way. And the ones that don't, the best thing is they end and you get another shot tomorrow. Yeah, that's, not, that's not a bad batting average. Yeah, exactly. Now, another uh, really important uh, value that I, uh, I think people can work on and master, and that's, that's the one of respect. Respecting yourself, respecting others. I saw a quote that respect is, is love and action. And if you start with that, um, if you respect someone, I mean, you know, um, that is just, it is a, the highest compliment in the world. I mean, because you're kind of showing your love them, your respect them. And, and one thing I learned along the path was that if you show people genuine respect, especially older people, they will teach you everything they know. And what a gift. And if you, you know, if you, if you truly um, look at, at people and, and, can, and truly have respect for them, you know, everybody has something to share with you. Uh, and that's a lesson that you don't have to go learn the hard way. Somebody has taught you that. Somebody has taught you something they've learned from their experiences. And if you go through life and you collect those, you're, you're, you're going to gain some of their wisdom every time that happens. And, and I, that, that sort of, that's sort of the way I was raised. And it, it, um, uh, it was something that kind of came easy for me. I didn't, I really didn't have trouble learning to respect people. Um, I think that came across and I think it was one of the real keys to, 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 to my success. Uh, and it, it's a, a really, it's something people can learn and master, uh, and, uh, and it's really accelerate their 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 development that way. Yeah, it relates well back to your part of your quote you mentioned earlier about uh, you know good leaders always showing up, you know, assuming they don't have all the answers, but they're there to help everybody find them, right? And that you know to to have that 
and which also goes back to curiosity, but it's, it is that, it's that innate sense of having that respect that everybody you encounter has something to give. And, you know, really your role as a leader, if you, if you choose to do it, is to try and find out what that is and get them to, and, the, and, the, and this is a thing I think about, you know, and I've, I've, you know, worked with and been and managed engineers, you know, much of my life. And, you know, I do think one of the, I've found one of the challenges of that is, as you mentioned, that authenticity and, you know, sharing the emotion of your sort of the moment, right, is, you know, I mean, a lot of, not the stereotype, but a lot of engineers are reserved and a little more, you know, a little more quiet about things in general and, and, and not so comfortable doing that, right? And it's, I do think that is an area where, you know, those that are a bit more technical, maybe more focused on, um, you know, what's in front of them and, and, and just not as comfortable sharing in that way, right? It's, that's something I've seen leaders and I've had to get, you know, had to get much more comfortable with myself that just, just wasn't where I lived naturally on my own, right? Like I had to grow that capability. Um, Most of us do, Doug. I think that uh, uh, it goes to being vulnerable and, uh, and, and, and that's being authentic. And um, we're, all, we're all vulnerable. And, and, and to, to pretend we're not is, is, is trying to hide something. And, and people can see right through that. And so, you know, I, you know I've spent a lot of time on self-awareness and as, a, as an individual and, and, and those people who I've worked with. And uh, it, it's all about self-awareness. And it's, it's, tough, it's tough to really be a great leader without a degree of self-awareness. But I think vulnerability is, is uh, people respect that. Sometimes you, you can, your, brain, your ego tells you it's a, it's a weakness. It's not. It's a strength. You know, one of the things we, we talk about, you know, making decisions and, and, and having values. I mean, it, you know, I think, you know, I asked the question, like, well, how, how can someone make good decisions that aren't based on those values, right? And that's, you know, just going to see if you had thoughts on that. I mean, it's one of those things where I, you know, when we were trying to put together this sort of you know, discussion framework, it was like, hey, we can't predict what's going to happen in any given day. We can't, we can't control what the rest of the world is going to do. Right. Um, but we can use this foundation of constants, right. Things that we know are true for us and hopefully true for those around us every day um, to try and make better decisions in those moments of uncertainty. Right. And obviously with being in the middle of a pandemic and uh, you know, everything's kind of thrown up against the wall. Right. So, you know, that's where I think, values become so paramount is those are your that's your north star that you can you can encounter all this other uncertainty as long as you're certain about those things right i don't know how you could make i don't know how you could be a good decision maker without uh without without knowing what they are and really being fine tuning them and knowing and 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 knowing them in, in some detail uh you know the world is is not black and white the world is all gray and it's, as you said, it's getting grayer. I, I, one of my values, and I always get some funny looks when I put it out there, is don't ever, don't ever do anything un- illegal or, or, or unethical. And um, I was talking to a class at Clemson, and they said, well, well duh. I mean, they, sure you wouldn't do that. And I said, well, I promise you, in your career, you're going to be presented with an opportunity to do both. 
and I, you know, and I, I you know, I psyched the time out. I, I, I uh, raised my hand to, to move to New Jersey and and start an office there um, for for uh, for my first con first company. And uh, you know, being a contractor in New Jersey, I don't want to say anything bad about New Jersey, but uh, it, you know, the rules up there are a little bit different than they are in North and South Carolina, where I grew up. And uh, and I'm starting an office from scratch. And, um, you know, I had a, a few contractors and a few suppliers come to me and say, well, you know, we're going to, you're going to need to, we're going to, we want, we'll give you, we'll give you this, this cash here if you'll select us for the, for the work. And, uh, and I'd have people coming to me asking me to give them cash, uh, you know, uh, to do the work. And I said, well, you know, I, I, I don't do that. And, uh, and they would say, well, you know, you, you're going to have to get used to, to doing work, doing business in New Jersey then because, it's, you know, some of that goes on up here. And I said, well, I understand that that may be the way rules may work here and being different from where I'm from, but that's just who I am. I'm not going to do it. I just, I don't do that. And if that, if that causes me to be unsuccessful here, then I guess I'll just have to pack up and go home. And, um, so that was a, some had a few tough conversations, but uh, you know what? Um, five years later, we were the most profitable office in my company, and uh, you know I think maybe uh, we might have might have even made made the culture up there a little a little bit cleaner, a little more honest. But there was never any doubt in my mind. We had a situation in in, in, in Charlotte where we were doing a. $500 million project for the largest bank in the United States. And uh, <clears throat> their project manager kept, at, he was from, he was from New York and he kept um, uh, trying to get my guys to give him housing, give him this, give him that, give him a little cash every once in a while. My guys were like, what do we do? And so I took a risk and I went to the owner and I, I said, um, you know, we, you know, we got this going on, and I said, I don't think uh, you want this going on. I know I don't want it going on, and it really caused a furor. They did not like being accused of that. Um, they were a fairly arrogant customer, but when they did an investigation, they found we were right. Uh, they dealt with it, and it really strengthened the relationship between my company and that company. And uh, but uh, you know you, you're going to be presented with things like that. And, and but but when you when you have those values, and it is who you are and how you're going to act, the decision is easy. You don't have to give it. You don't have to. You don't have to give it a lot of thought. And the consequences, in my experience, usually are good when 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 you do the right thing and and follow. Your so I'm with you. I, I don't know how you could be a good decision maker without being clear on your values. It's, it's tough enough when you're clear on your values, but, uh, but it's manageable. I guess my last, the last uh, value I had written down is, uh, you'll love this, uh, you know, Davos Sweeney says the, uh, the fun is in the winning. And I love that. <laughs> if, you're in, if you're in a for-profit business, the fun is making money. <laughs> And, and, and just like Dabo's mission is not to win, his, his mission is to develop young men. And, our, and our, our mission was to give our customers the best construction experience they'd ever had. 
But you know what? When we did that consistently, we made a lot of money. And when you make money, you're measured by that. Your celebrations are bigger. Your Christmas parties are bigger. You can spend more money reinvesting in your people. And I'm one of these people that doesn't think there's anything wrong with making money. And that's, that's, one, of, that's one of my values. That's a great one. Hey, I wanted to, one of the things that I sort of want to ask each, each of those that join us for this, and it's one of the, you know, I was thinking about it for myself as well, was where was that moment? So just to kind of set it up for you, you know, when you first made the switch from, you know, being an engineer, being a, you know, doing the work and, you know, getting things done yourself to realizing that, you know, the real, the job in effect, if you're going to be in a leadership position, um, is really entirely about making everyone else successful and, and finding whatever, and really that, you know, which means you know, obviously based in values, but it's whatever they need to be successful, whether that be, you know, air cover on a project, like you said, guidance on, you know, the right thing to do. Um, you know, for me, it was my first sort of management job and, and running a, a business unit. Um, it was really hard because, you know, I went from a position of, hey, I just produce, I get a ton of work done, I'll outwork the other guy and, you know, hope that that stands for itself and really, you know, make the point I'm trying to, to make or, and just, you know, deliver value. But it was always focused on the work itself. Right. And then, and so I went into this position thinking, and I, I used to show up with my list and I had, you know, the problem with it was my list. Right. So this was, here's the 10 things I really got to get done today. And for the first six months I was there, I was never getting those things done. And I was, you know, feeling like a complete failure because I'd always sort of, you know, been disciplined about, you know, know what you want to do, write it down, have objectives, knock them out. Right. And, um, couldn't do it because I was spending all my time working with my team on their challenges. You know, I had branch managers all across Texas who, you know, they were, they were in their own operation. They had, they had no one else to turn to really. They were the, they were the decision maker and, you know, on their teams. And we had obviously in my business with hazardous materials and fuels and explosives. And I mean, there's all kinds of things that you encounter that can be really troublesome. Um, and so, you know, every day I was spending hours talking to each of my branch managers, brainstorming ideas, sometimes just commiserating to, you know, they just need someone to talk to because again, they've got to present that, you know, <clears throat> optimistic, confident face to their team, right? And, and sort of hold it together when the pressure's on. Um, and, but it took me, it took me, a, you know, in that experience, six months of going home every night, feeling like a complete failure to realize, wait a minute, like that is the job, <laughs> right? It's, it's, you know, maybe you get one thing on the list, maybe, but really your list is everyone else's list, right? It's, it's the organization and, and what it needs to, to get through their, their day, their week, their month, their quarter. Um, I just, you know, I was going to ask you, like, is there a moment in your career? Was there a moment in your, in your work where that, that paradigm shift became really, really clear? Well, that's a great question. I think we all go through that. 
Um, and, and we all go through it differently. I, I, uh, I think in my case, I was, you know, when I was at Clemson, I was not a good student. Uh, and, um, and when I left there, I, I kind of felt like I kind of squandered my opportunity to learn and, and my parents' money. And, and I felt a little, I was down myself. I felt like I wasn't very smart. I wasn't as smart as the people who had done much better than I did there. And, but then I got into the workplace. I did go back and I did at night go back and get an MBA. And, uh, and I learned uh, a lot of the things about management. But when I got into the workplace, I found out that working hard, like you described, working hard um, came naturally to me. Um, I could outwork most people. I loved it. I loved the, the, how much I got accomplished. I love the recognition I got for that. And I just kept working harder and harder. And, and, and then I began to get more responsibility. I was sent to, uh, to a project where I, for the first time I had people working for me. And that's where I had the experience I told you about where I had some draftsmen working for me and I, I struggled with that. <clears throat> But um, then, then the, comp the company had this project that was in real trouble. And, uh, and, and they, they had the first two project managers had been fired and, and they needed a good guy, a, a person who had good systems experience. And that was me. I had good systems experience, cost, schedule, processes and things like that. And so they threw me onto this project where we had 90 people reporting to me. And, and uh, you talk about getting thrown in the deep end. Um, and I realized, uh, okay, uh, buddy, you're in it now. And, and, and you better figure out the task that's got to be done. And you better start organizing the people in, into groups that can attack, that can do the task. And, uh, and I, I, I was shocked at how well people responded to that. Um, and I think part of it was my naivety. I think I was just, uh, you know, I, I, I was, didn't try to do anything that, uh, um, I didn't, I, I, I had learned my lesson about pretending and I was just, I knew I was over my head, which was step number one. And, uh, but just, just when I, when I realized if I would put my effort in going from hard work, individual hard work to organizing the work and then trying to recognize, well, we've got a good group of people over here. I've got a good group of people here. I'm going to assign them to these different tasks and I'm just going to have them come tell me and tell me how they're doing. They really just responded to it very well. And that's when I caught the that's when I caught the fire. That's when the the the, the leadership thing the, the the light went off in my head, and I said, "Man, I like this. I really like this." And and I think, and and I, I, I only brought up the fact the fact that I, I didn't do well at Clemson to because I'm still carrying in my head that I'm not very smart. And uh, and I thought, well, you know, maybe. Maybe I don't have to be that smart. Maybe if I will assemble a group of people who share values, one, and we trust each other and we're really out for a common goal. And if I can create an environment 
for us to work together, to kind of pull together our collective wisdom, nobody can touch us. And that's what I call the leadership bug. And um, it just like, but it was almost like I was thrown into it. And, and, and I was either going to figure it out or die. And, um, and, and it, it worked out okay. Yeah, that's a great answer. That's, that's, it's, a, it's a crystallizing moment, right? Where you really, and I do think it is, it's, it's um, I, I, you know, it, it is like you either figure it out then or, or, or you, you die in a way, right? Like it's, and the, the road sort of forks and yeah. you're, you're either going to be a, a nerd in a chemical when you're 60 years old or you're going to be running something big because you, 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 you decided you were going to choose that path. Um, and, you know, in, in, a, in a lot of ways, I, I look back now and that, that feeling of not feeling like I was as smart as some other people, in a way, I feel like it was a gift because I, I do see a lot of engineers make the mistake of thinking they have to be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. And, and if you don't get over that, you, you can't be it. You can never become a leader. You've got to get over that and realize the power. The power comes in assembling those people around you on your team and you creating the environment for everything to work. That's well said. I just want to, I know we're coming up on our time. I wanted to, I was reading some of your, um, some of the other things that you had said as you'd set up the, the Clemson work and um, one of them stuck with me. It said you're really finding people that have that chip of wanting to help others. And it, it struck, struck me so strongly because it's, and I was telling my wife the other day, I said that um, most all the really good, important things that have happened to me personally, um, most all of them came out of a situation where uh, I was trying to help somebody with something. And, um, you know, and not, you know, I would have had no way of knowing. There would, you know, there was no way to predict um, what would have come from that other than, you know, feeling that feeling compelled to help them. Cause you know, if someone needs help and you can, then you should. Um, but it, it also is striking to me that how much opportunity can flow from that, um, you know, financially, uh, but just, you know, satisfaction uh, comes along with it. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, invite you to close with that and, and the importance of, you know, should you have the opportunity to, to be a leader and leverage all these things we've talked about successfully, um, you know, having that, that focus and that space on, on making sure you, you help others along the way. Yeah, that, that's, this sort of gets to the essence of, of why Susan and I set up our, our professorship. And, um, you know, we, we, we were, we said, you know, the, the, the way, the way the two of us want to try to make the world a better place is to create more, more and better leaders. And, uh, and we're, we were looking for, and we wanted to do it for uh, the engineering school. Uh, I, I do think and this, this sounds uh, arrogant, uh, boastful, but I think, you know, you look at, you look at the, 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 the students that uh, are attracted to engineering, they're, they're some of the brightest students. And, and so I think that's a good, a good place to start. And uh, we wanted to look for, for, for students who had that chip, 
who uh, who who uh, had the 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 belief, the will that uh, they could make a difference. That they wanted to they wanted to get the leverage that comes by influencing other people. I was given a talk to the to a group of engineering students at Clemson a few years ago, and I was giving us this, this discussion. And um, and I said, you know, I want, you know, I said, I want kids who, who I want, now I said, the, the curse of being a leader is you'll lie awake at night sometimes fretting over why, why you uh, can't get something done. And this kid came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, I'm the president of the fraternity. And he says, you know, I have a vision for what we ought to be, but it's different from what most people think. And uh, he, but I, he said, I believe it's the right way to go. And he says, I do wake up at night. And I, and I wonder why I can't get people to, to, to uh, see what I want to do and to, to join me in the trip. And I said, man, you're who I'm looking for. <laughs> and, and so um, I, I, I do think there are, I don't think you have to wait until you're in your 30s or 40s like I was. I think you can identify those folks when they're at Clemson. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, for those, for those individuals, uh, I, I encourage them to, I said, look, look for every opportunity to lead, whether it's a fraternity athletic team, a, a classroom project, a campus club, uh, you know, get exposure to the work environment on vacations and holidays and co-opportunities. You know, and one of the best things I've ever, one of the things I tell, I've always told people, learn to lead, learn to lead by not being the named leader. You know, some of the best leadership skills, the best leadership I've ever seen is leading from behind. Is, is, is just, you know, if you, if you, if you want to lead and, and uh, but you just want to lead by being a member of the team, that really, you really have to sharpen your skills. Uh, and, and influence people, but boy, it will, it, it will uh, do that. Um, and, uh, you know, I tell folks to, you know, it's, it's important if you, you know, if, if you, and I, the, our idea, mine and Susan's idea was to identify folks and, and put them in positions um, through our professorship or, or what you're doing, Doug, uh, to be able to, once they're identified, and accelerate their development. So they don't have to wait till later. They can begin to, to, to develop as leaders in their 20s and 30s. And, um, and I think if we do that, we can develop more and better leaders. I do think it's important for them to, um, and I've always, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in leadership books, if, if they're the right books. And you know, I mentioned Peter Sengay and the Fifth Discipline. And, um, You've got, um, you know, other, uh, you know, Jim Collins wrote some great books. And I like a lot of his analogies. Um, but I do think, I also think that uh, doing this in the School of Engineering is important. My son, Matt, is a good example. He's a mechanical engineer from Clemson like I am. Uh, he went into the corporate world as a, as a contractor and, and hated it. Uh, and and he, he found that uh, his passion was making whiskey. <laughs> And uh, he, he applied to one of the top um, schools in the world for uh, a brewing and distilling science to get his master's. And uh, they would only accept 
chemical and mechanical engineers. Wow. So because of heat transfer and, and all that. And he thought that was a sign. So uh, I think it's a, I think having an engineering degree from Clemson is, is a great foundation for whatever you do. And I think it's a great place for us to look to uh, for this idea of, uh, of building, uh, of, of uh, creating more leaders. I do want to say, I do want to cover one last thing if I've got time. Yep, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a, a thought that I've always thought was very important. I always show it with, uh, with a, when I'm giving a talk. And uh, it starts with a quote by Oliver Wendell Holmes, who was a, a U.S. justice. It says, the great thing of the world is not so much where we stand as in what direction we are moving. And it, it, no, matter where, no matter where you are, it goes back to your point about, you know, no matter how talented you are, if, if you're going in the right direction, that's a, that's a real important start. And then you move to, to a, a concept Jim Collins talked about, the flywheel effect, where he said, you know, a big heavy flywheel. Those of us in engineering know, know about that. He says, you know, if you've got everybody on your team and they're, they see one vision and they're working in concert with each other and they're all pushing on that wheel, it starts real slow. But if it's moving, moving in the same direction. It's amazing how in a few months, how far that, that has come. And I think leaders strive for that alignment, that vision, and, and, and put themselves in a position for what I call those defining moments that will come, come around a, a few times in your life. And if you've positioned yourself for them, um, you 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 will you will see that they have the potential uh, to to launch you uh, into orbit if if you're prepared for them and if you're and if you and if you and if you've got uh, uh, and if you are have the guts to do them. Steve Farber wrote a little book called The Radical Leap. He calls them OSMs, oh shit moments. <laughs> and, uh, I, I believe those moments come around in your life, everybody's life. And if you've worked for them, prepared for them, and take advantage of them, great things can happen. And that's why I think that's, I think that's our, what our goal ought to be, is to, is to help leaders create more and more of those and hopefully make the world a better place to be. That's, that's awesome, Bob. That's, and that's, you know, that, that closes well with, with our our framework here where it's, you know, nail the constants, right? So you're ready for those moments of, of chaos and, uh, you know, well-prepared to make the, those decisions because of all the hard work you've put in to get there. I think, I think your other point of, you know, and then we'll, we'll close with this, but, you know, just as the students look at this, as they think about their day, think about their opportunities is, you know, back to that 10,000 hours and, and never, never having too much practice before you have to go in and make the play for real, right? Like, so, you know, find ways to start early, um, take on more responsibility than you're probably ready to handle and then jump in that deep end, as you said, and, and, uh, and focus on, you know, organizing the resources and team around you to figure it out and get her done. And, um, you know, that, I think that, that uncomfortableness and being willing to jump into that is just, you know, 
that that is that in of itself takes practice, right? Like you have to do that enough to where you can become good at it and actually recover those chaos situations that much faster because again, you've got you've prepared, you've put in the work and you've got the practice behind you to to be good at it. It's not because you were born with it, but it's because yeah, you put in the effort to build it. I saw a quote that says, if, you know, if you, if, if you do everything you just said, which is important, if you can't overcome the fear, sometimes you got to do it afraid. <laughs> yeah. But, but if you, if you, if you've prepared yourself for it and it's, and if it's in line with your vision, you got to go for it. Yeah. It's, it's really, as you said, it's a, it's a, it's a manageable process. And if you put a life plan together with the things we've talked about, you can get there. And it's exciting and it's fun. And it's, it's and the great thing about leadership is not only the success the team creates, but watching the fun the team has creating. A high performance team is a wonderful thing to observe and be a part of. That's the one thing people ask me, well, do you miss anything? Do you miss anything about working now that you're retired? I said, I, I miss being a part of a high-performing team. Well, and like you said earlier, and like Dabo says all the time, the fun is in the winning. And, uh, you know, you get a high-performance team, no wins out of reach. That's the fun part. Yeah, he's a, he's a, and I, I, I say this a lot when I'm talking at Clemson, is it, you, that, guy, that guy embodies a lot of the things that we've discussed a lot of them and the results show absolutely engineering leadership is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping engineers enhance their leadership skills you can download resources to accelerate your leadership skills by going to www.engineering-leadership.com